0: I have two picture frames, you remember? I never see the pretty little ladies more than once, and most of them wouldn't be caught in the same room with a camera. It's odd. And I wonder if it's sad. I wonder if it's sad that I never see the little ladies more than once. I've never been able to have sex with or, or how is it put, make love to anybody more than once. Once, that's it. Oh, uh, uh, wait, for a week and a half when I was 15? And... I hang my head in shame that puberty was so late, but I was a -A H-O-M-O-S-E-X-U-A-L. I mean, I was queer. (laughs) Queer, 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 like with bells ringing, banners snapping in the wind. And for those 11 days, I met at least twice a day with the park superintendent's son, a Greek boy whose birthday was the same as mine, except he was a year older. I think I was very much in love maybe just with sex but that was the jazz of a very special hotel wasn't it and now oh do i love the little ladies really i love them for about an hour the theater
1: the theater theater to be or not to be theater theater
0: okay but i want to start off i want to say something kind of controversial yeah you already it, did
2: you know,
0: <laughs> but i want to make sure it's on record i i want to say this is. How, I'm just going to leave it on just the table, say it. too. I, I know, daily. but I have to disclaim. I have to disclaim a lot. Hold on. I'm just going to say it and leave it on the table. I'm not going to explain myself. I'm just going right. to ask if you understand All or not. Okay? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have decided that I think being a Broadway nerd is not the same as being a theater nerd.
1: To be sure.
0: I agree. I see exactly what you're saying. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying one is well better than the other. <laughs>
2: I would say I agree with you. It's the way that I don't think theater in New York is the same as theater in L.A. Sure. In fact, I think L.A. theater is better. Sometimes. Yeah.
0: The money uh, isn't there. That's the No.
2: Answer. I mean, no. No. No.
0: I think there are great, interesting, profound things happening in L.A. if you find it. Right? Yeah.
2: Hell yeah. We were yeah. just talking
0: about Loft Ensemble. Shout out to Loft Ensemble. They right. are doing some really exciting new stuff. Uh, there's a lot of theaters here that are really pushing barriers even like these small posted up in a church kind of theater companies there's some good stuff here it's just the money is the issue well and the thing
2: about loft too which is is hard in other companies is it's all it's all volunteer it's all passion work it's all people are there because they, they i mean i know that they're required to be there so much as a company member but everyone wants to be there whereas like you know there's with AB5 and and the equity thing a couple years ago like so many people are like oh you're not paying me i'm not going to be there or you're not paying me this much i'm not going to be there so yeah. there's something to be said about that just,
1: just yeah there's something that, yeah man. it's yeah you know, i think we're going to see the rise of mid-sized theater in 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 LA which is a different by midsize, I mean in between a 99 seat and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amundsen and Center yeah. Theater Group. And that's what, you know, that's, what's been missing. And, and I think that we're, we'll on our way. Retra- we're on our way and there's a retraction happening and an expansion and people are merging talents and merging, uh, spaces and ideas. It's one mm-hmm. of the great things about, being a member of Sacred Fools right now is that we have the Broadwater Theater Complex and four performing spaces in there. And now Celebration is opening up a new show this week there. Yeah. Uh, I am a is going to be opening up a, no- a new show there. <gasps>
2: cool. Wow. I am. Yeah. I love yeah. I am. Yeah, we they love good shit. And,
1: you know, and
0: Celebration's great too. We love celebration.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. Celebration. And they're, they're, you know, uh, on the cusp of, of sort of a new reinvention of themselves. So, yes, yeah. that's true.
2: Very but exciting. I got to I got to say, I love that. You gotta, I have, to, have to, I have yeah. to, I, I Mandator. do love and, and nothing against midsize theater because I, I'm excited about all of it, but, uh, my show that just opened that at this point you have one weekend left to see it and i'll plug it again at the end of the show future tripping we have a 30 seat house and i love it i see, love cool. really small theaters yeah. like that it's so cool
0: it's called intimate and i love
2: it yeah i love intimacy <laughs> um i have but i have another, I have, another oh, I have a troubling thing i have a troubling thing to share with Uh-oh. our dear audience oh I was asked to write my first letter of recommendation this last Aww. week, yeah. which I'm honored that somebody wants a letter of recommendation for me, but I'm also feeling old.
1: <laughs> hey, I get hey that. CJ, I've been writing recommendation letters for 15 50-
2: years oh okay so you've been writing them longer than me Scott I don't I get mean it. It. I don't mean, cool. to de- I don't and mean you to... started writing them at a younger age than me I
1: don't mean to negate nor discredit your emotions <laughs> and your feelings I'm just I... saying I know where you're at where it's like oh yeah. Really? Or yeah. the better, the the one that's even worse, I think sometimes is, can I use you as a referral?
2: Oh my God. Sure. Well, yeah. and it was for, I, I just have to say, it was for Pat Town's youngest son, Murph.
1: Oh, for Murph. Okay. Who
2: I just, I just love that kid.
1: He's I a good kid. kid. He's, good well, he's
2: not even a kid. He's a, he's a young man. No, he's a
1: young man. He's about he's to a be young going adult. to college. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: He's not a but kid. But we knew
1: him when he was a youngin'. Yeah.
2: I knew when he was knee-high to a grasshopper. Well, maybe not that young.
1: But I have we're... finished a show. I struck a show. I <laughs> tore. I took a crowbar and tore a set apart on Sunday. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was dramatic. It was like a six-month hardcore run trying to get... A play up during COVID in Los Angeles. With COVID icing on top, yeah. With COVID icing on top and and a myriad of other complications along the way. congrats on closing. Thank you. Very cool. And for everybody out there, whether you're in L.A. or uh, in St. Louis or in Kansas City or in New York or Chicago, if you're trying to do live theater right now, hats off. I send you love and support and good vibes because it's For a crazy sure. time. And, and all we can do is put it up on our backs and fucking bring it back. That's yeah. all we can do. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I gotta, I gotta give one shout out. Kansas city theater has been going hardcore. I know you said Kansas city, but one thing I want to say, I, I, I doubt anybody who goes there, uh, knows, uh, you know, listens to this podcast, but I'm going to throw it down. Yeah. Uh, Johnson County,
1: Johnson County
0: Johnson, love it. All right, mm-hmm. they are. Uh, they have the Bodker Black Black Box. It's it's my f- favorite place on earth. It's the the incredible program. They've been doing theater this whole time. They've been doing it out in parking garages. They've been doing Uh, it outside. They've been going hardcore. I I just a shout out and they do great shit. They just did aliens by Annie Baker. The alien. Oh, yes. They're killing the game. Yeah. So I follow their Instagram and I interact when I can, but nobody knows who I am. Well,
2: and I just, I love that whole concept of every, every space is a theater. You just got to make it one. All you need are performers and an audience. That's all you need. I mean, I love designers. Don't get me wrong. And directors and all that stuff, but
0: yeah. It's very exciting. I'm very nerdy about it, which is what this podcast is all about, so why don't we introduce it? (laughs) What? Uh, Welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds, made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm J. Bailey Burcham.
2: I'm C.J. Merriman.
0: And I'm
1: Scott Leggett.
0: And each week we get together and we discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three... Count them. one, two, three of their plays, and this Macro is Macro means big. You're right.
2: Ooh, veiny. <laughs>
0: Girthy, I'm girthy. We take a girthy look. We've done that joke, but what am I doing?
2: We've...
0: No, I think it's, it's a new bit. I think it's Maybe, a new is bit. is it a new we'll bit where we, care, we just yeah. make yeah, it like uh, it's a new bit every time? Macro
1: means big. Okay. Uh, Baby, girthy.
0: We take a girthy look. Uh, this is part one. Welcome. If this is your first time listening, I don't apologize. <laughs> this is part one of three of our mini series covering the works of Edward Albee. That's right. The name of this mini series is. The pod, or who's <laughs> Silvacast?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that might be my favorite it's of all great. time. It's Is great. it
1: stupid? You do amazing. a remarkable job every week, Bailey. Thanks. With,
2: with I I literally sat down and logged into Zoom. I was like, we I haven't heard a title on this yet.
0: Well, because it was gonna be who's a uh, uh, pod's afraid of Virginia cast, eh. but we named our mini series, or we named our art.
2: We already did that play. We already did that. We already did that play. And I was like, I can't redo
0: that. And I already did the art for it for the the bonus episode. So I was like, what is work? And I was going through, I was like, pod story, the zoo cast, like none of it was working. Like, what is, what's it gonna be? And then I went, oh, of course. (laughs) And I really wanted it to be sweaty. And this one's pretty sweaty.
2: Sweaty. It's it's a sweaty, sweaty play. The pod
0: or who is Silvacast.
2: Well done. Thank you. Uh,
0: during this series, we <laughs> will be points discussing... to <laughs> <laughs> 10 points to Slytherin. 10 points to Slytherin. I'll take them. Um, this mini series, we will be discussing three plays, but we're also kind of, we're adding we're tacking on a little thing. I'm going to talk about it. In a I'm second, excited second. about it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, a, it's pretty it's cool. It's interesting twist that happened <laughs> yeah. accidentally. So, so we're starting with, this week we're going to do Zoo Story. That's right. Just Zoo Story, the play itself, the original play. It's the only only thing that exists called Zoo Story. You don't know about anything else. Yeah, and then there's three tall women, which I'm very excited to. That was Scott's choice. Yeah, I've never read it. Very excited to read it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, C.J.'s choice, which is The Goat or Who Is Sylvia. (sighs) But also on that episode, since we are studying the evolution of Albie. We're going to be touching on this very interesting thing that has to do with the play we're talking about today. I'll get a little deeper and explain why it's interesting later, because right now, all you need to know is that he wrote a play called Zoo Story. Yep. That's, that's it. All, that's all you got to know. For right now, that's in all you need to know. In 1958,
1: he wrote a play called The Zoo Story.
0: It was his for,
2: first, right?
0: That's his first play. for his, For our purposes here, we are in 1958 podcasts do not exist we're on the radio (laughs) and you have not heard of any other play but zoo story okay this is where we're starting so i i'm very excited about this playwright i did i have realized in reading these plays that maybe he doesn't rank as high as i thought he did in my listing of all plays it's been a nice
2: revisit
0: but i do love him i think
2: it's gonna be fun
0: And he was a smoke
2: show back in the day. Pretty hot.
0: But like later, (laughs) like when he was like older, he was pretty hot. Yeah. He
1: had that professorial kind of swagger sexiness. (laughs) Yeah. He's an interesting dude. I love him and I'm excited to talk more about him, but I know exactly what you're saying. And I think I agree with you. I think that when we end this season and we do all of our rankings and we rank all of our plays and rank our playwrights. Yeah. I think that he, this is my prediction. Not to show,
0: not to show our hand too early. Not to show my
1: hand. I'm just this is yeah because it's March. I know I'm talking (laughs) out my ass. Um, I feel like he will end up in the middle of the pack, Mm -hmm. but one of his works will end up towards the top.
0: I agree with that already.
1: No. He's
2: kind of like the Velvet Underground of playwrights a little bit. I'm, I'm getting like half of,
1: yeah, like, yeah, there's levels sure. of like, oh, I'll listen to that Velvet Underground. I don't want to listen to that Velvet I'll Underground. That. But
2: also didn't, didn't, is, isn't that the band that like inspired a ton of amazing bands that everyone oh, loves yeah. the type oh, of, yeah.
1: of yeah. There's a great documentary, uh, uh on Apple TV about the velvet underground right. it's worth it you know, not sponsored it. but
0: hey check it out Not sponsored um
1: yeah
2: promo code theater promo code <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: but something that we like to do at the top of the first episode so that you know where we're all coming from is i just want to let's fill them in on our context with albie so like when we started this podcast where were you had you seen albie had you read albie were you a fan of albie uh, who wants to go first
2: Siege. I'll go first. Yeah. Um, I the more playwrights we read, especially playwrights that I read back in my college days, the more I'm understanding the thing I've been hearing a lot lately of people's brains aren't fully formed until you're like in your early to mid-20s. Because I look back on my college years and did so much reading and didn't retain anything. I just read it because it was the assignment. Right. And in my tech, and then having my text analysis class my freshman year when I was 18, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand why we're doing text analysis. Because I just, I think, I don't think my brain was fully formed till I was like 30 or something, but we did Zoo Story and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf for my text analysis class. So that was uh, my first entree into Albi. Yeah. And then um, the other big thing was, and I know I've mentioned it before, St. Louis Rep, which is an amazing regional theater company in St. Louis, and they have two seasons. They have the main stage season, they have the black box season. The black box is usually a little bit edgier, like newer theater but for like three years they had the off-ramp season which was a refurbished church in downtown st louis and my senior year they opened and they did bug take me out and the goat Yep. And I think it was the first time.
0: That's a fucking cool season. Sorry, it's a great. That, season. I had to register yeah. it for a second. I was like, whoa. Oh, it's an amazing cool. season,
2: and I was 21 years old, getting to see this stuff, and it's you know, it's all amazing because they go, they pull out of St. Louis, but they go to L.A. and New York for their auditions. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think it was the first time that I ever realized. Well, and probably the summer before when I was in London, it was the first time that I ever realized that theater could make you feel uncomfortable and Mm. weird. And because I'd seen a lot of musicals, I'd seen Arthur Miller, like I'd seen a lot of like mainstays and older stuff and Shakespeare. And the goat has always stuck with me Mm. um, because the two, the husband and wife in it were two St. Louis rep mainstays. And I don't think they were married, but I think they were partners. I have no idea if they're still together. Her name is Carolyn Swift. I'm certain of that. His name is like Anderson Matthews or something. They lived in New York together. They got son
1: of a bitch. I'm just kidding. They got hired (laughs) fifty
2: (laughs) dollars. They got hired every year at the rep, like uh, Stephen Wolf, the artistic director that just passed a couple weeks ago or months ago. He loved them. He always hired them. He loved directing. They're they're amazing actors, too. Every
0: theater's got those. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And they would be back. St. Louis loved them. <laughs> they loved seeing them on the stage. And yeah. they did all of the different seasons, too. They were very well-rounded, talented artists. Yeah. But they played the husband and wife in The Goat. And I'd never seen them in anything like this before. And then the other fun part was one of the polls of my conservatory was all of the professors are working professionals. So cool. They're they're working designers, they're working directors, actors. I had never really seen any of my teachers act, but I saw my Shakespeare and dialect teacher, Bruce Longworth, who every, I think he's still there, as a matter of fact. Everybody loves him. Everyone's in love with him. And he's kind of this quiet, understated, cool guy, but he played a total character role in The Goat. And I was like, I didn't know that, Bruce could do that so it just it's a shocking play I went in completely blind I didn't know anything about it and it was a really interesting play to see going in like that so I've been very excited about covering Albie
0: (laughs) yeah that's so interesting because the goat kind of has that thing where it's like the Darth Vader thing to me where it's sort of like or I guess maybe not I guess everybody doesn't know like the full twist of the goat so I won't give it away Yeah, but like it's that one thing where it was so whispered about in theater school hallways like have you heard of the goat do you know what that's a fucking what that's about oh my god and so it got kind of ruined for me before I ever read it because I was like oh I I guess I know what this play is now but then you read it or you see it and you're like oh uh, people are uh not well, it, characterizing this correctly.
2: I saw it in 2005. So it was just like three years after it was really, like first yeah. performed. So it was a fairly new play at that time too. So I, I feel like, and I haven't read it yet. I just remember the performance and being like, oh my God, when yeah. I was watching it in a yeah. million different ways. So I'm mm. excited to read it and revisit all of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Scott, what's your context with Albi?
1: Well, it really is. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And specifically the film. Yeah, um, and I'm so
2: glad we watched that. So yeah,
1: fun. which is great. Mike Nichols. But I right, Mike Nichols, uh, okay. and I watched it. I remember being a little bit ahead of my time, but like, <laughs> but like being like 10 or 11 and having seen The Graduate and going, well, now yeah. I have to see mike nichols other stuff now everything he's it.
0: ever that's how i felt when i saw the graduate yeah. like
1: carnal knowledge and catch 22 and and then who's afraid of virginia wolf which my parents were both familiar with but they were kind of uh, they had been in college and coming of age um it, it, roughly in that in that albie time so they were yeah. kind of keenly aware of him <laughs> but I saw that, and that led me to seek out performances of uh, stage performances of Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, some very good and some very bad.
0: Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, it tends to be.
1: Um, and then really didn't get into it until college, until um, you know having to to do scene work from Zoo Story because if you have two guys in a class why don't
2: why not throw them in there and
1: see what happens because <laughs> you're not going to know and i remember doing uh, i can't even remember the exact passage there are sections that that resonate or that i kind of remember or tickle my brain um but i remember not having read the whole thing that i just took the scene i didn't want to work with this other dude and uh just trying to do a scene and make up what was going on out of context, which was just, and I think it was towards the end, certainly the latter third, but yeah. So then beyond that and some, you know, reading assignments in college, um, you know, he's kind of like Pinter. I always have felt that he's a blind spot, except for, you know, a few specific things. And then Three Tall Women like really intrigued me when it came out because it was his comeback like mm. he had been gone, like he'd been sort of counted out and and brushed off, and so he came back with that. And I remember being really, really kind of mesmerized by by a comeback in the, in the American theater. So.
0: Yeah, what about yeah. you, Bales? Yeah, I you know I think the reason why I said earlier, like I don't think he's gonna rank as high as I thought, isn't because I dislike these plays. It's that now that we've read so many playwrights, I think I held him on a pedestal a bit in theater school. Sure. That makes partly because of who's afraid because it's one of those plays. That's just one of those great
2: fucking play. Yeah. Like it's
0: an undeniable classic. Right. And so you're just like, so you kind of hold him in this, in this high regard and up on this pedestal. And then the goat whisperings, it's this kind of infamous play. Right. And so you're like, well, he's got those two. Uh, And then uh, specifically I saw Zeus story in a phenomenal production. Uh, I've shouted it out before, but I want to say it again. We did an artist spotlight with my dear friend, Teddy Trice. He played Jerry.
2: (gasps) Oh, Cool.
0: And it was, and a good friend, uh, Jonathan Alley, John Alley, he played uh, Peter. Peter, yeah. And it was directed by dear friend, Eric These, I mean, these are my dudes, right? And um, we were in a, we did three one acts in a night it was like you know you watch all three of these one acts uh if you came as a festival sort of um and each one was directed by a different student and i did cowboy mouth by sam Shepard. Mm, <laughs> nice um amanda beeler at the time now mike Selsberger, married to the director of zoo story now eric and amanda are now married uh she directed bed and breakfast which is a fantastic short Uh, One act, and then Eric directed Zoo Story. I didn't know Zoo Story. I think we I think we had to buy it for class, Mm -hmm. like for like acting one or something. And I'm gonna be honest. I'm like pretty sure I learned the scene that I had to learn and didn't read it. (laughs) Yeah, it was like a yellow actors edition, right? And it's
2: mixed. Mine is mixed with The Sandbox, which is like a five page long play.
0: Yeah, I I just remember like going to the the textbook store the like student center to buy my textbooks and there being i had to buy zoo story acting edition cloud nine like (laughs) for for, um for script analysis and then like i think it was like sunday in the park and i was like (laughs) and i knew nothing about all three of them
2: what a a what a grouping
0: wow changed my life forever that was (laughs) one of the greatest semesters of my life apparently uh but zoo story was the third act mine was the first act so I, mine would go up and it was really harsh and hardcore it's cowboy mouth <laughs> heroin den patty smith <laughs> sam shepherd you know hardcore shit and then you had a, a sort of light romantic sort of lesbian comedy in the middle shouldn't characterize it as a lesbian comedy it was a comedy about about uh lesb- a lesbian relationship um and then the third one was this phenomenally acted 45 minute perfect paced a bench and a fucking lamp or you know like street light and that was it and i every night would go sit up in the stage manager booth and watch the whole fucking thing cuz it was incredible yeah. And we ran for like six weeks. I mean, it was wow. like we would run these shows. I don't think it was six weeks. That's a, that's way too long. But you know what I mean? Like we ran them like at least three weekends. And so it was, it was just incredible. Uh, great, great play. I've never seen anything else that he's written. But I've seen a hundred Who's Afraids.
2: What What an interesting grouping too of plays. I know you've talked about that before. But like getting back to Albie, I would say I'm right now under. The idea that um, he is the analog Sam Shepard, because he feels very Shepard-esque to me. But he what came do you first. Mean by analog, like he came first.
0: I see what you, man. So the if Shepard is digital, dream, he is Yeah, it. the American dream,
2: <laughs> the brutality that we do to one another. Like, but they're sure. not the, they're not exactly the same um no
1: they're they're two they're two very different people from very different experiences but yeah and i don't think that they're alone and i i definitely think that Shepard had to have you know gotten some inspiration from albie he just would have and right. yeah. um and even just i think they probably were around each other you know in new sure. york in late 50s and 60s and all that but no, and and it it's that post-war generational thing that is so complicated in terms of baby boomers and those that preceded baby boomers, you know, the right. great the greatest generation, and going, wow, we we just literally brought the planet to the verge of extinction. Right. What does this all fucking mean? So in Europe, you get your Samuel Becketts and your Ionescos and. And that all kind of rolls, and, pinters. The, and your pinter's <laughs> comes out of that a little later, and then, then you get to, you get this generation of Americans that you know, I mean Arthur Miller, I mean that's what Death of a Salesman is, is questioning yeah. all of the American dream, and yeah. and so uh, yeah, I think they're part a of new the same generation trying to explore yeah. those same ideas, and now yeah. I
0: think we have Vogel for that a little sure, bit, you know, yeah. but but I Hell do yeah. think. Uh, there's a great Vogel it's not a quote necessarily but she credits Albie with the reinvention of post-war America theater hmm. yeah like she's like Albie is what he, he he's the one that came in with the biting real ass dialogue that also felt theatrical and it was this new thing and it was sort of the American Beckett it was sort of the the beginning of theater of the of the absurd in America honestly it was a new movement and if if you know Genet and and um, is it Genet? Yeah, Genet, Jean Genet. Um, Jean Jean Genet, uh, uh, and, and 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 Ionesco and Beckett are the creators. You know, in European uh, circles, then Albi is the fa- the forefather in America in a lot of ways, and I think that's true. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, but it's but that's the evolution, right? Is he created something that then others took and ran with? And that's why Absolutely. when you say middle ground, Scott, I'm like, yeah, but that's not a slight.
1: Oh, not at all. This is fantastic. All. Not and this is at still going to be
0: a very fun miniseries. I'm super pumped yeah, about it. Fuck yeah. Um, I mean,
2: we're already yakking about it a lot. We're yakking. Do you guys ever have
0: yakbacks? You know what I'm talking about? I have yeah. a Snack Pack. Not a snack a yak So a yak was a little toy that you could, it was a recorder, but it was kind of in a weird shape, kind of like an ear, but like just like blue and weird. And you'd, and it was very eighties, it was very retro, but you'd speak into it like, hello. And then it would repeat back to you, hello, but like kind of like a shitty robot voice. Oh. And I had it for years and used it on the daily. Don't know why. <laughs>
2: I just had one of those um uh old like the tape recorders that like you'd put the tape in and it had the two buttons that you had to press record and play at the same time mm-hmm, oh, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. they were yeah, I had those. my brother found my tapes once and I was like doing lines from movies I really liked and then he recorded over it and made fun of me
1: <gasps> Aww. I wish we could Aww. recover those
0: he's a
2: lawyer now
0: use them for blackmail yeah of course yeah. he is. <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is.
2: <laughs> Um,
0: there's this other part of the podcast that we like to do, and <laughs> it's, it gets us a little bit more in the brain of Albie. We can understand his context. I'm excited for this. Yeah, me too, because I realized, I don't know, shit. Mm-mm. I know about him creating the movement that is American absurdism. That is all I know. So, hey, Scott. What? There's this... There's a thing you got to do now. What?
2: Can we get your pedia?
0: Wake up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hold your hands out. Uh, <laughs> give me my pedia. Let me see your pedia. <laughs> uh.
0: Scott pedia. All right. Uh, this is
1: pretty short and sweet. Strangely, there's there's a lot on him, but it's all like... Very vague, you know, Albie or uh, Harold Pinter had so many like detailed shit. But anyway, there's some fascinating stuff. Edward Franklin Albie III was born on March 12th, 1928 to his mother, Louisa Harvey. His birth name was Edward Harvey, but no one knew who his father was. Mm -hmm. A few weeks later, his birth birth mother put him up for adoption. Albi's adoptive father, Reed A. Alby, the wealthy son of vaudeville magnate Edward Franklin Alby II wow.
2: owned several
1: theaters. <laughs> huh. His adoptive mother, Frances Nay Carter, was a sociolite sociolite. Socialite. His parents were extremely conservative. Albie was a bit of a rascal as a child, getting kicked out of uh, or quitting several schools. Albie attended the Rye County Day School, then the Lawrenceville School in New Jersey, from which he was expelled. He was then sent to Valley Forge Military Academy in Wayne, Pennsylvania, where yeah. he was dismissed in less than a year <laughs> and enrolled at the Choate School which is literally one of the great private institutions in, in all of America, in Wallingford, Connecticut, graduating in 1946. Oof, I'm not talking well. His formal education continued at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. We're rooting Connecticut. for you, buddy. Thank, <laughs> you, thank you. I appreciate it. I need all the support I can get. Um, he was expelled in 1947 for skipping classes and refusing to attend compulsory chapel. Well, Respect. I would. I, I know you would. I know you would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll left home for good in his late teens. In a later interview, he said, I never felt comfortable with the adoptive parents. The fact that he refers to them as the adoptive parents mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. probably says it all. And then he said, I don't think that they knew how to be parents. I probably didn't know how to be a son either. In a 1994 interview, he said he left home at 18 because he had to get out of the stifling, suffocating environment. Mm -hmm. Albie moved into New York's Greenwich Village, where he supported himself with odd jobs and while learning to write plays. Albie was gay and stated that he first knew he was gay at age 12 and a half.
0: Hmm.
1: It's very very specific. Uh, Primarily in his early plays, Albie's work had various representations of the LGBTQIA community, often challenging the image of heterosexual marriage. Despite challenging society's views about the gay community, he did not view himself as an LGBT advocate.
0: I just decided that he was poking fun at the reporter who asked him, So when did you know you were gay? And he went, 12 and, 12 and a and half. half. Probably. <laughs> exactly what he would do. Exactly what he would do. <laughs> anyway, get going. Uh,
1: during the 1960s, he had a long-term relationship with fellow playwright Terrence McNally, which we've
2: discussed. Hey, I think is yeah. so interesting. So it interesting. is, but
0: it's kind of cute.
2: Oh, kinda it's adorable. Yeah. I love it. Okay.
1: Um, in 1971, he met the love of his life in sculptor Jonathan Thomas. The relationship yeah. lasted until Thomas's death due to cancer in 2005. Albie died at his home in Montauk, New York, on September sixteenth, two 2016, aged 88. Yep, I remember that.
0: Yeah, I remember deal. when they announced it, it was a big deal. Yeah.
1: Um, I oh. also have a little game. I'm bringing it back. We haven't brought it back in a while. Yeah. <laughs> It's called Two Truths and a Lie. All right, <laughs> all
2: right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> his family, true or false? True okay. or false? His family owned and showed saddle horses, and he became enamored of equestrian events.
0: Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay.
1: He lived in an artist commune with money inherited from his grandmother
2: okay
0: adopted or um,
2: birth grandmother birth
1: his adoptive grandmother okay
2: okay okay
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. in the late 70s while his career was on the decline he wrote an unproduced stage adaptation of the amityville horror a very popular (laughs) publication at the moment
2: that's kind of fun um i'm just gonna go with my gut and say the third one is the lie
1: okay okay
0: i am Ooh, that's a toughie <laughs> that's a real toughie ah i that was my instinct too, siege that was my instinct too because i mm-hmm. feel like i would have known that uh-huh but I also know he did some crazy shit that was never moved past, like, an original production, right? Fair enough. That I I haven't done any research on him, so I don't know. Right. Um, Just because, this is <laughs> what I'm going to say. Just to be different, I'm going to say it was the equestrian one, number one.
1: It was the Amityville Horror one.
0: Yeah! Good job, Siege. uh,
1: Yes, his family owned and showed saddle horses, and he spent much of uh, his early years helping out with that. And his grandmother died and gave him a chunk of money, and that's what allowed him to move to Greenwich Village. He specifically lived in in an artist commune while there.
0: The second one made sense because I was going to ask, where did he get the money to get to Greenwich Village and support (laughs) himself without jobs? Because it's like supporting yourself without jobs is fine, but you have to get there first, right? If your parents aren't helping you, I don't know. So, yeah, I get it. So he got that money. (laughs) First one totally tracks, which is why I felt like it was a good second guess because it's like, it's like you would maybe do that to me, Scott. Yeah. But the Amityville Horror one, I could totally see being I could a see play. that happening. <laughs> like, you yes. wrote a Lolita play. You wrote a like, Lolita I
1: mean, one. We talked about it. That yeah. never got
0: done. So it's like, you know, we'll get into it. We'll get into it.
2: I feel like uh, I just knew a little bit because, and I normally don't do this. I, I read ahead a little bit, and I've at this point read Three Tall Women, and the the version that tall? I got, Yeah. Three, huh? Are they tall? I, I guess. I guess. I haven't read um, it yet. I don't know. But the version that <laughs> I pulled lit. for us, um, that PDF, the forward is written by him.
1: It's very cool. interesting. It's, it's very it's interesting. It's a really
2: cool forward. And he kind of, I don't know. I felt Where like you? I got that information from that forward. So right. That's, yeah. a, that's cool. I feel yeah. like I cheated a little bit because I read ahead. <laughs> he, had a,
1: he had a huge conflict with his adoptive mother and, and mm. that... Uh, just ricochets through all of his work, and, but and I, I can even see it in Virginia Woolf now.
2: Oh hell yeah! But I also love, um, and I I wrote some quotes down, which I I could read or don't have to. But I I have to say that I appreciate him even more so as an artist now because it's very clear, and he was very open about it that he used his writing to deal with his fucking bullshit, and oh, I yeah. loved that. And yeah. he's yeah. very open about it, and I I just I dug that about him. It made me like the play even more than I thought I would. Agreed. Okay. Should we get into our play? Let's do it. Ooh, Ooh. we're talking and talking this we're talking time.
0: Talking and y'all. talking, it's okay. <laughs> um, we did talk for a long time at the beginning too. That probably won't make. It we're
2: anymore. excited.
0: This is my pick.
2: Yeah, it is yeah. Bales.
0: We're, we've gone back in time. We're in 1958, and he has put out his first play. Completed it in just three weeks. Which is okay. legit. It's like forty-five pages long. Yeah. That makes that makes sense. Yeah. It is called a zoo story, or is it the zoo story? I the zoo story. Zoo story. The, I'm sorry, yeah. my article was incorrect. It is the zoo story.
2: Which the kind of makes sense by the time you get to it. It's the, the one in the and end only. Of it. yeah. yeah.
0: It's the story. The,
2: about the story. Zoo. It's the one. It's the one
0: yeah. zoo story about the zoo. The
2: one you're waiting for. Um. So.
0: This was originally rejected by Broadway and New York in general. People Welcome, didn't get idiots. it. Fucking idiots. So the Stupid play idiots. actually premiered in West Berlin, right <gasps> on. I Crazy. love it. Which is kind of rad. It's uh, at the Schiller Theater in Werkstatt uh, in 1959. You ever party double in y'all? I've well, never been to Germany. Go. You ever been to Rekstatt? Yo, yeah, that's a no, good time. No, Let's really, go to cool, Germany. Man. I want to go. School- it's crazy. Uh, but it was, this is the best part. It was double billed with the German premiere of Samuel Beckett's Craps Last Tape as the song. <gasps> <laughs> that's so you watch awesome. a hell of a night. <laughs> Amazing. It's a, hell, uh, it's a hell
1: of a night. You like... would
0: watch Zoo Story and then Craps. That's, <laughs> come on. And it was the German premiere. Apparently it was absolutely incredible. Uh, Beckett himself did the translation to German. Like, it's like (sighs) very, very cool. Uh, But then it premiered in the United States off Broadway uh, in 1960. So a couple years later at the Provincetown Playhouse. Mm -hmm. And it closed a year later. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like it had like a legitimate like year run. Um, But then the play was uh, and the play was still paired with Crap's Last Tape. So they mm-hmm. felt like that pairing worked so well that they were like, "Well, let's do that on off Broadway." So they did. Uh, it was directed by Milton Katzelas, whose what name order I didn't were they know. In?
2: Do you, does it say what order they were in?
0: What order they were in? The uh, like, craps was first? the second act.
2: Okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay.
0: And um, the cast was very excitingly George Maharis, who is from he was on the show Route sixty six. It's like what Mm -hmm. most people know. He's not like much bigger in in like film and TV world, but he's done a lot of theater. And uh, he was Jerry. But Peter was played by my good friend, Mr. Feeney. William William Daniels.
1: Bill Daniels. Bill Daniels.
0: Wow. Also. One of the greats. Also in The Graduate. The Father. Also the
1: Father in The Graduate. Graduate. Also the voice of Kit, the car in in the Rider.
0: That's right. I think also, say, John Get the
2: car in cars.
0: That one, uh, the one. And John, only Adam- car John in the movie Adams. John Adams
1: in 1776.
0: John Adams. Yeah, sit down, John. I made that and reference Saint on Elsewhere. the pod one time, and none of you laughed, and then we just all moved on. And I was like, that might have been the funniest I've ever John,
2: been. Sit down. I don't know 1776 at all.
0: It's fine. Uh, <laughs> but at one point, Maharas left the production in uh, in like March of 1960, and to film the movie Exodus. Yes, he was in that. Um, but then Peter Mark Richman, who uh, at the time was going by Mark Richman, who you may know from Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> That's how I knew him. I saw his picture and I was like, oh, of course, the guy from Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but he took over the role of Jerry and Daniels and Richman perform this thing. And for like. 10 months and people live for it like everyone's obs- obsessed it, it, with it it. Was obsessed with it rave reviews uh the craps last tape gets all the love too i don't sure. know i don't know who was playing crap but it's fucking rad uh and then the play wins the Obie award for distinguished play and then william daniels wins the Obie for distinguished performance right on come on that's awesome it. it's amazing
2: yeah. Breakdown. Jerry happens upon Peter reading on his favorite bench in Central Park. What begins as an awkward and forced back and forth started by Jerry progresses to strange familiarity and ends in sudden and invited brutality? I didn't want to give away too much. Yeah, no, that's exactly
1: right. <laughs> that's actually the pretty. That's it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, the biggest thing for me and then I just want to hear y'all's takes is that Jerry is like one of my favorite characters in a play. Maybe. Oh my God. Ever. I want to do this
1: so bad. I want to do it so bad, especially after you reading it in college. And I I probably experienced it again somewhere. Like it's been familiar to me, but what reading it this time and thinking through what the performance is and what this play is about and what it's talking about. Um, because I think it's easy to go, oh, it's a weird play about this guy and he kind of comes and bothers another guy on a bench. But it's it's not. We we talked about it earlier. It's it's about loneliness and it's about, you know, social status. And it's about sort of raw anger and raw humanity. And and it's funny and it's weird and so it's like this perfect little package and you said it, Bailey, it's like forty-five I mean, minutes. It's if like that. it's in and out, you know.
2: Quick. My my two main takeaways from it were actually how relatable the situation was of minding your own damn business and then somebody comes up and starts talking to you mm-hmm. and won't stop talking to you. And I don't know, maybe this is a me thing, but feeling like you need to be polite and continue on the conversation and you don't mm-hmm. want to be an asshole so you keep the conversation going on. Yeah. And then the other thing that struck me was, um, it reminded me of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the whole idea of being held hostage, even though he could leave it, Peter could leave it any moment and he doesn't, why doesn't he? Just like, um, uh, uh, what are the the younger couple in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf?
0: Oh but, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. uh, uh, fuck.
2: They what are their bunny, names? bunny, and Nate? Honey? honey, honey, bunny, whatever, honey,
0: honey, and Mike, Mark, Ma- Nick, Nick, Nick,
2: Honey Nick. and Nick. Honey Jesus but, and Nick. Christ! But, but how, like, you know, we what's keeping them there? That. They're not chained to the wall. Why don't they just call a cab and leave? You know Politeness. what I mean? So it's, it's, the it's same yeah, manners. It's, that's the fascination to me of this scene of like, you can feel it escalating throughout the whole play, and it's the same thing. This feeling of dread with me, where it's like, oh fuck this isn't good. Something, something's going to happen. And something actually does happen in this and you see it happen, but it's like, you know, what's, what's keeping him there. Why doesn't he just say later, dude, I wanted to sit out and read by myself. I'm leaving. You know, I think
1: it's like, it's, it's levels. It's this idea of talking about manners and social norms and, and what's pleasant and what's polite and all that. And then he gets sucked in Mm -hmm. And then he's like, what in the, like, it's almost like a morbid fascination.
2: Well, and then there, there is the carrot of the zoo story that keeps him engaged, but also keeps the audience engaged that you never really hear about ever. Right, right, right. Ever. You never hear the actual zoo story, which is why it's the zoo story. That's the best part.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. That's the ultimate piece of the puzzle.
1: Yeah. I your just fit, your face experience. just got really funny there for a second, Bailey. Uh oh. Uh oh.
2: We can't hear you. Uh-
0: now, can Now you hear me? Yeah, now we now, can. Now yeah. we can. We lost All you for right. a second. Leave it. Triple it. Unplugged. Okay. Uh, no. Don't please don't leave that. Uh, <laughs> if you do, I will cut it out myself, which is fine. Um. You had said something interesting, and now it's gone.
2: <laughs> the carrot of the zoo story the whole time for oh, Peter as well as the audience, and we never get that payoff.
0: That's the masterstroke. Yeah. Right, And that's why the title is so rockin', which is why, and we'll talk about later, it, there's kind of an annoying thing that happens to this play, in my opinion, especially with, hmm. with the title. We'll get there. Uh, so th- I brought up Jerry Jerry, to me, is so interesting, not only as an actor, but also just as this, like, horrifying, sad creature. Like, he's so isolated. He just wants, he's a golem. He's, he's, he's Smeagol. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like not literally, but he's got that. Like, I just want to talk to someone. I just want to and maybe that's not what it is. Maybe he has intentions of of death. Maybe he, you know, maybe that's the intent from the beginning, Well, which that is was how a question that read. I
2: wrote down. Did he come here wanting for that to happen by the? Was that his plan? I but would love I think... to hear
0: y'all's answers because I think most people say, of course, that's what the play's about. And I don't know. I, I think don't it think depends so. on who's know.
2: performing and who's directing. to be honest, exactly I think you could right. play I mean... it either way. I yeah. think
1: that when we talk about super objectives from a directing and or acting, <laughs> super objectives, super objectives super me back. I think that the more interesting choice is that, no, Jerry isn't there to get to where we get to at the end. Do we want He's to say He's there to it?
0: connect. He's there to connect. No, we say it. Here's the thing. Spoiler alert. The, you should read this play before finishing the rest of this because... You can't. We can't talk about this play without talking about the end. It'll we, literally
2: take you twenty minutes to yeah,
0: read it. <laughs> we tend to spoil pretty massive things. There's. We won't spoil how it happens or like the 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 journey that takes you there. But by the end of the play, Peter, the one sitting on the bench being annoyed, should I tell? Should I say? Yeah. Um, yeah. Go for it. Ends up stabbing and killing Jerry, the man who was. the the menace, the man who was the comedy of menace, the theater of menace. Right.
2: But I feel like in the stage directions, Albie makes it seem pretty clear that he wants it to seem like he kind of runs on his own knife type of thing. I mean, I think again, it's gray area. I think it depends on how it's performed and how it's directed. For sure. I i mean, honestly, what what that character, what Jerry kind of reminded me of, and now I can't remember the playwright, years ago when we did Taste at Fools, mm-hmm. which is a completely different fucked up story, but a character walks into that scene... And he's going to give himself up as a victim because he's ready to die. Like, he yeah. doesn't feel like he has anything to live for and he wants to end it all and he wants to do it in this specific way. Or, yeah. or you know, like in a grander, crazier way. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's who he reminded me of offhand. God, that play was terrifying.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you all ever <laughs> seen the movie The Time or read the book The Time Traveler's Wife? Sure.
2: No. I haven't.
0: So I've never read the book. Apparently, it's a very good book. They're making a show on some fucking streaming thing out of it right now. But there's a movie starring Rachel McAdams and Eric Bana that I put on the other day and got about, I don't remember how far, maybe 20 minutes in before I had to turn it off. Oh, no. For <laughs> multiple reasons, mostly because there's a lot of, like, him – He, he He's visiting his wife in, in different parts of her timeline. His timeline's all jumbled, but hers, hers is normal. Mm-hmm. But he, like, as an old man, like comes and visits her as a little girl and like has connections with her that then lead to her falling in love with him later. It's weird. That I don't weird. know how it's handled in the book, and the movie is not handled well enough for me to have kept watching. But the <laughs> other thing that really got me about it is I was just like, I can't watch two hours of this horrifying creature. Like, it was, he's so sad. He's just lost in time. He's just trying to find this girl. And no matter what age she is, he goes and tries to be in love with her. And you're just like, this is the saddest thing. If I think too hard about this, this is the saddest thing I've ever heard of. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't do it. And this is the opposite of that while doing the same thing, right, with Jerry. Whereas Peter, we talked about Peter's politeness, I really love the parts where he is actually kind of into talking about himself. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He's oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's like yeah, I a wife of two daughters, two cats, two parakeets. Very two proud parakeets. of that. Yeah. And like, um, it's all very interesting. My favorite part of the play is the baseball card stuff.
1: The pornography? Yeah. The pornography cards?
2: Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The playing cards. That's what yeah.
0: I meant. Yeah, the playing cards. I, I said baseball, but you know what I meant. You know what I meant. Pornographic baseball cards. That would be interesting. It's kind of <laughs> hot. A Rod's rod? I don't like A Rod. Yeah, but his rod's big. <laughs> rod.
2: A Rod?
0: It's girthy. Vainy? Maybe. It's macro. Macro. Um.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, there's a reference to this play in the movie Grumpy Old Men. There is. Yeah. That's no all. Kidding. I I don't remember what it is. I just remember it. They're on the Man. they're sitting on the
1: bench. They're sitting on the bench outside. That's what it is. Yeah.
2: I would um, love to see Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon do this play in their younger years. That'd oh be yeah. Fun. <laughs> that would have been great. Actually, that would have been great. It would have been fantastic, honestly. Oh my god, yeah. Uh there's, there's a
0: million things to be said about this play, and I want to talk about it more in the third week, because here's the thing. We can let go of this a little bit now. You can forget that it's just the zoo story in 1958. We've We've sped forward a little bit. You can produce the zoo story as a theater company, as either the zoo story, a play, one act, or... You can produce it as Edward Albee's At Home at the Zoo. May oh, I,
1: I thought you weren't may... allowed to.
0: You can. but then And it was originally titled Peter and Jerry as a whole play. At uh-huh. Home at the Zoo. You can do that whole play. May... Of course you can. But then you can also not produce Home Life. Right. Which is a what?
2: I I just have a quote that matches with this perfectly. Okay. From his foreword. He said, people often ask me how long it takes me to write a play, and I tell them all of my life.
0: Right. And that's what we're getting to here is (laughs) this is this is the thing. In 2007. So in 1958, he read Zoo Story. In 2007. (laughs) <laughs> he writes a prequel to the zoo story called "Home Life," all one word, "Home Life." You cannot produce "Home Life" as a single act, even though it's a prequel to the zoo story. You must only produce it as "At Home at the Zoo," or you can just do the zoo story. Okay, uh, I I think that's fucking stupid. Oh. Uh, that that you can't – I mean, I'm saying, like, if you wanted to do home life, why couldn't you just do home life? I, I think it's a weird, like, rule is my point. I haven't uh, finished
2: reading it yet, so I don't know. Oh,
0: well, I, I'm not giving my opinion on At Home at the mm, Zoo yet. Okay. I'll give no, that no, on the, in the third week. But basically, At Home at the Zoo is both home life and the zoo story as one play. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I will tell you. I'll tell you right now. I don't think it needs it.
2: Mm, okay. I just don't
0: think it needs it. It's right. Jerry at home with his family for an mm-hmm. act. Uh, excuse me, Peter. It's Peter at mm-hmm. home with his family for an act. There's no Jerry. It's just the day before the things that happen the next at, at, in the zoo story. I just don't think it needs it. I just, that's my personal opinion. We'll get all to right, it later. All
2: right, all right,
0: all right. I do think I it's cool
1: that after 50 years, somebody would take something that's so treasured and go, I'm going to fuck with it. Yeah, I'm gonna fuck with it like that. That—that's very Albee-esque. Yeah, the audacity. Albian.
0: how Dare you? Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> how dare it's... you rewrite shit to your own play? I love it. <laughs>
0: Fifty years later, though, man, come on, I love it. Um, of course, isn't it Simon that rewrote uh, "Bright Room Called Day" or was that? Kushner, what's who wrote Bright Room called? That? I've lost my. Uh, mind. I can't remember, but it's yeah. the Kushner play. Yeah, Bright Room called that. Yeah, yeah. I, I people, was thinking, people Brighton mess Beach with stuff. Guys people today, mess with stuff. Yeah, Bright Beach memoirs. Oh. I I was
1: getting plays. Man. Tony Kushner's Bright Beach, Beach memoirs. memoirs Redux. Wow, um, Redux. Oh my god. Uh,
0: can I say two things real quick? Yeah. That are. Uh, mm, a I'll give bit you of, one. You can pick. Thank no, you. Of course you can. I'll make them one thing. I fucked up in our last mini series in the mini series a few times what? and I wanna, I, this is some housekeeping. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kept saying Proust. You corrected me at one point, Scott. And then I kept saying Proust. It's Proust. I know it's Proust. <laughs> I just had never, I don't think seen it spelled out in my life. And I was just like, Oh, I guess it's Proust. No, I guess and, and I've been looks saying like it wrong my whole life. It looks like Proust. I thought I had been saying it wrong, but I, I was, I was, wrong on the pod uh the other thing is in the cut is on netflix right now everybody go watch in the cut
2: in ryan's cut? naked mark
0: yeah. ruffalo's naked <laughs> mark ruffalo's real hot in it
1: all right that's that's a bold recommendation well
0: i had said i couldn't find it anywhere but on the six degrees of kevin bacon Blu-ray. Oh, yeah <laughs> okay but it's on netflix until march 31st
1: so okay okay good to know
2: something that i forgot to bring up at the beginning we're recording on a theater holiday what is it it's the ides of march
0: ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> terrible
2: why is it terrible it's a theater holiday i was
0: watching an eddie izzard uh video yesterday where she was talking about how like the three uh sh- she speaks like six languages now or something fucking insane and does her comedy sets in those languages in those countries like does german or whatever and was was sort of telling a uh, what was the what oh it was a caesar joke the joke was uh do you think that after all of his conquests and all the amazing things that julius did do you think that he thought that he would have ended up as a salad right but he (laughs) but she was telling it as like here is how you tell that in all these different Languages because of the way that words or sentences are sure. formed, it doesn't actually land the same and different. So you have to say it differently. So it was very funny. Nice. Uh, Eddie Izzard, somebody I would love to see live. She's uh, uh, dressed to kill. Nineteen ninety nine was like one of my favorite stand up shows of all time. Right. Anything else, y'all? No, I
1: he this play is hot, and it's it's one that is can be done so often and can be done so badly. Like, you Mm. really need some grandmasters and really, you know, you gotta gotta break, excuse me, break that fucker down beat by beat in order to make it really great. And, um, but it is, it's hot. I forgot how good it was and like, and how emotional it could be. You know, sometimes the criticism of absurdist theater, existential theater, is that it's cold and that it's intellectual and, uh, but this is funny. There's a lot of funny, uh, he, uh, Albie always has humor and wit that go with it, but then like it, it, it's sad. It's sad and it's shocking at the end. I
2: yeah. don't even know that it feels so absurd to me. It's so rooted in reality. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. The The events are crazy and, and like I said mm, before, stay, yeah. sticking in that conversation, for anybody it's it's crazy but i feel like you could almost realistically crazy. justify all that stuff the other thing yeah the i think the other thing too this play is so specifically new york there's so much new york in it and i know central park and i know the village uh-huh. but i also know he wrote it at a time when central park and the village were different places so i feel like i'm missing some nuance in it because i do not know new york city at all i don't know it in the 50s and i don't know it now so sure.
1: you should watch the documentary new york in the 50s all right well Which it's like you know oh, it's
0: shit.
2: like bojack horseman yeah. it's like oh i know all those places in la it's fun
0: yeah y'all yeah. <laughs> ever watched the documentary los angeles places plays itself no, no. oh it's about la and and the film the movies about la other. it's it's yeah I that's fun Fantastic. i think that's
1: why i like licorice pizza so much no i like licorice pizza it wasn't i point.
0: liked licorice pizza i think i would have liked it more if i grew up here right And yeah. i gotta watch it still it's it's, it's good red yeah, rocket is is better yeah
1: yeah licorice pizza is think. just sort of charming and fun and yeah well well made and well told
2: I watched um Turning Red and it's about being a junior high kid in two thousand two and I screamed, laughed, and cried. I heard it's about periods. That's in there too. What, Bailey? You're shaking your head.
0: I don't want to fucking watch it on (laughs) Disney Plus. I went to go I went on AMC to get my tickets for it the day it fucking came out and it wasn't Uh out. And I was like, What's happening? And I looked it up and I was like, Oh, they're giving it the soul treatment? Fuck you. I wanted to see soul in theaters too. I get it. COVID. But guess what, Disney? I have A-list, AMC A-list, not sponsored. (laughs) So I would have seen your fucking movie. I don't know why you're gatekeeping your fucking movies anyway it's, i have disney everybody Plus. calm it some... down. It's good. It's, bailey, I, I, down bailey sit down bailey i would like to down. watch
2: it with you i will i, I can't wait laughed down. and cried it I was can't a wait. lot it of looks fun
0: like it's gonna be my new favorite pixar movie maybe i don't know i'm really pumped about it but also uh one of my dear friends uh who we have to have on the podcast her name is kirsten chandler and her son who is also a dear friend of mine who i've performed with directed all these things uh, he is one of the voices.
2: <gasps> so cool. I'll send
0: you the picture of who he is. He looks kind of like a, I, I mean, I don't want to characterize a middle schooler this way, but he looks like a stoner. Oh. <laughs> he has like long hair and a beanie. I don't know. I'll send it. I'll send you the oh, picture. All right. of all right. But he's, he's one of the kids. Um, and he was at the premiere and was taking all the pictures on the red carpet, and he's the handsomest dude on the planet, and it's awesome. Um, okay. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about? Albie, Zoo Story, you want to spotlight? No. Stuff? I'm so the, glad the we're next, doing the, this. Yeah, the next this couple weeks
1: are going to be really fun and intense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, agreed. Uh, I'm. It's just going to be uphill from here. They're all very fun. So, y'all have any spitlets? L.A. Spotlight.
2: I do. You officially have one weekend left to see Future Tripping at the Upstairs Space and Loft Ensemble. Friday, Saturday at 8, Sunday at 7. FutureTrippingPlay.com
0: Scott?
1: Uh, No, I just, uh, like I said at the top, I, I just closed and struck a show. And it was the first one in a long time. But thanks to everybody who came out and supported and cheered on how we got on at Sacred Fools. Thank you kindly.
0: Yeah,
2: Oh, also the downstairs space. You have one weekend left to see Branwell at Loft, Branwell the loft. and the other Brontes. We shut yeah the
0: check them out. Uh, I just submitted some plays there, so we'll see if uh, yes. see if I get PX for one of their seasons. Uh, very exciting. I don't have anything. Come see uh, Anne at the Playhouse. We're opening next weekend. That's oh my god, a. I
1: can't wait to see it. I'm really stoked to see. We
2: it. need to plan a night to go see it together. Yeah, let's yeah. totally
0: yeah we're gonna have a lot of fun we'll go see it uh do you guys want to go to opening you two
2: when is, it is it? opening
0: i have two tickets it's the it's the tw- it's the uh it's next week next next sunday it's not this coming sunday open but the open next sunday Friday.
2: where i'm closing my show that sunday so i i can't but at five how long is it
0: it's <laughs> so all the, personal, so we're all the personal, personal question yes it's 90 minutes
2: I got a house manager i gotta be at I gotta be at loft fix that all
0: night. of this and thank you Production for joining meeting. us yeah, thank you for joining us for part one of the pod or who is Silvacast? <laughs>
2: Just, Join us I'm next a... week
0: for part two of The Pod or Who is Silva Cast. Uh, after the Alby miniseries, we'll have a Scott pick and stuff. Uh, what is it, Scott? Do you know yet?
1: Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be one of two things and a tribute to uh, to William Hurt,
0: Bill the hurt, big hurt, who just the passed. big Hurt. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, hey, do y'all have questions or comments? You can email us. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, Scott.
1: Thank you, CJ. A big shout out to sure, Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Uh this is just I'm this is just math. This isn't me being hyperbolic. Mm-hmm. Our theme song is better than your theme song.
2: No. Nope. It's true.
1: Ryan also writes all of our stingers. He's a hell of a human being. Another big shout out to Pamela Quinn, who wrote our um Albicentric song that you're about to hear. I'll oh yeah, get a text her
0: right now and remind her to write that. Hold on. Albie-centric song. <laughs>
1: Uh, that you are about to hear. Uh, Pam is a frequent contributor and guest to the show. We love her. She's amazing. And finally, to the great Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Annie Baker for writing every single one of our episodes,
0: and she doesn't even know it. We're not doing and, Pinter anymore, Scott. You don't have to pause. I, but It's fine.
2: Uh, what? Uh, and one day, um... Annie Baker, we're going to buy you. <laughs> <that. laughs>
0: <laughs> incredible uh yeah hey y'all we're coming up on our 100th episode i'm pretty sure this is 92 no i don't know yeah Only 92 shit. and 93 All right. uh so we'll ch- i'll double count that but uh, we're, we're getting there 100 episodes with you two it's a lot of hours <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hours <laughs> a lot jesus <sighs> it's a lot of hours <laughs> it's a lot of time spent we could have been working on plays but it's fine because we were making a podcast well those. most
1: of them were during covid
0: that's true yeah. Um, mouths and butts are the same thing. Fringe is coming There's, up. Please, yes. please start uh looking for fringe stuff. It's going to be out there. We're producing. Start saving show. your
1: money. Do your yeah. fringe. Do your fringe budget. I do this. I do a fringe budget that I've already started, and I yeah. I will have a chunk of money to spend on shows and booze.
0: Yes, and, and maybe we some drugs. Are also uh going to be reviewing and covering a lot of the fringe shows, and I am going to be submitting us to potentially sponsor a award at Fringe uh, closing ceremonies. Cool. Cool, cool. Uh, We'll see what happens, but uh, shout out to Fringe and everyone involved. We love Ellen. We love Lois. We love everybody else. So, uh, please go rate, subscribe, review. That's all I got. Mm -hmm, Bye. 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 (coughs) (laughs) Dad. (coughs) Dad (coughs) I want love But it's impossible. (laughs) I don't know the words. A man like him, so irresponsible. A man like him is dead in places. (laughs) Other men are Liberated. liberated. I've been listening to the Rocket Man.
2: I want love. Just a different kind.
0: I think Rocket Man is the best movie musical in the last decade.
2: It's my pick. It's my pick for our next original movie musicals. And and I'm saying that
0: having West Side Story as my 2021 Best Picture winner. But it's
2: not in a ridge.
0: Right. Just saying. I don't know. This is great. Tick Tick was great, but I don't know. Yeah. Later, everybody.
2: May. (laughs) May. filled with fear and lies I don't get the jokes I've never been too wise the sun will start to rise I feel like I've been here forever and ever and ever and ever I can't hold my drink I don't know what to think about this. This must be some kind of hell. Wake me up. Wake me up. Wake me up when it's all over.